This is week two of a series that's titled Bold, so I want to bring us up all on the same page and give you guys a recap of last week, if I can do that. Last week, we began by talking about this, this one real event that happened a night uh, about 2,000 years ago. The Apostle Peter's in this boat out in the Sea of Galilee with the other apostles, and there's a storm that's going, that's brewing. Jesus had stayed behind on the shore to pray for some time. And with the storm going on, Jesus begins to, to walk out across the water to the apostles. They see him. They are scared out of their minds at first, and they finally recognize it's him. And Peter calls out this strange, unusual question to Jesus. He says, if it's really you, then tell me, and I'll walk across the water to you. And in essence, he's saying, he's asking the question, he's saying, is, is, this, um, is this relationship of disciple and rabbi, does it hold true for us? Because the relationship that they had known, always known, had been that the, the disciple was to become just like the rabbi. Whatever the rabbi did, the disciple would learn to do. However, the rabbi thought and lived, so the disciple would be also. And so now they see this Jesus who is like none other. Like he is the supernatural. And Peter's, in essence, asking, do you really mean for this relationship to hold? Are we really supposed to become like you? If this is you, then just tell me, and, and I'll walk across the water just like you're walking on water. And Jesus says, it's me, come on. And so he, he steps into the deep where feet may fail. Indeed, they will fail unless Jesus intervenes. And Jesus supernaturally intervenes, and Peter walks on water for a few brief moments. Then he takes his eyes off Jesus, looks at the waves, and begins to sink, and Jesus saves him. And I said last week that as far as we know, that was a one-time event in history, the only person ever to walk on water, the only time he did it. But it's this metaphor for what the, the life of following Jesus is intended to be. It's this metaphor of what is intended to be foundational for the life of following Jesus, what is intended to be so significant. Life is intended to be, if you will, um, stepping into the deep as Jesus leads. Jesus' intent is that, that those of us that are his followers would indeed become just like him in every aspect of our life, in, in our relational life, in our, in our character, in our work and play, in how we express our sexuality, in finances, and on and on and on the entirety of our life. And, and he is so different than any of us that, that when he calls us to begin change, it is stepping into the deep where feet may fail. It is so often, it is almost always change that we cannot bring about unless Jesus intervenes. And so, so often this life is, is stepping into the deep where feet may fail. And so I ended last Sunday by just asking the question, where is God calling you to step into the deep now? What aspect of your life, what, what piece of your life, it may be character, maybe finances, maybe relationships, uh, on and on and on. What, what area is God asking you to step into the deep? So I want to pick up from there. And, and say this, some, some areas of change are not as difficult as others. And I would tend to say that the changes that can be done, the stepping into the deep that can be done in a single act are easier than those that have to be done day after day after day. For example, maybe, maybe God prompted you this last week to go to someone that you had wronged and to go to them and, and humbly say, I am so very sorry. I wronged you in this way. Please forgive me. And that would be hard, and it would take humility and take courage, but it's just one act. It's just one time. And, and I would suggest that's easier than all those things that are, that are having to step out of the boat again and again and again. For example, addictions are, they tend to be that way. With an addiction, it tends to be, this is a brand new day, and, 
And Jesus is saying, I want you to, to leave the addiction behind again today. And you step into the deep where feet may fail unless he intervenes. And, and today goes well, but tomorrow it's again and again and again. I have a friend who maybe a month back uh, pulled me aside and said uh, he struggled with uh, alcohol addiction. And said, I've gone five months. I had a single drop of alcohol, five months. And we had this little mini celebration but he's, he's just learned. He understands that tomorrow's a new day. And Jesus will call him to step into the deep tomorrow as well. And in the power of Christ, have another day without the addiction winning again. Or I had a friend uh, some time back whose addiction is pornography who, who said to me, I've gone you know, X length of time without touching pornography. We had this mini celebration. So addictions are, are one of those things that is again and again and again. Another example, and, and some of you, uh, if you're by the person I'm referring to, don't elbow them or don't nod your head when I say this, but, but maybe there's a very difficult person to love in your life. And, and that's not a one-time act of loving them. Uh, too many smiles, way too many smiles around this room right now. Maybe, maybe you can do it today, but you wake up tomorrow and they're in your orbit and Jesus is saying, again today, let's go again. I step out of the boat where your feet will fail unless I intervene. But do it with me and trust me, and I can help you love that person one more day. Or another example is when you're trying to share with someone else that you know and love the love of Jesus. And you've come to find out a brand new life in him, and you understand your eternity is altered because of him, and you want them to have that as well. It's, it's rarely a one-time event of telling them about Jesus. It usually is many events, and sometimes it goes on for years and years and years. Those are the hard ones. Those are the challenging ones. It, it's what the apostles were given in the book of Acts. In fact, we're studying the book of Acts in this whole series. In the book of Acts, we started last week, and, and I got down through chapter 1, verse 8, and it's the last time Jesus would speak to them before he ascends to heaven. And he gives them this assignment, and he says, here's, here's your assignment. You are to be my witnesses. In other words, tell people that I, I came, I died, I rose, and I'm the king of all. And so tell people in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And they're given this this impossible task of telling some who crucified Jesus and hated him that he's alive and he's God and bowed their knee to him. This impossible task of going to Samaritans who hated them as Jews and give the message to them. This impossible task of going to the whole world, most of whom had never even heard of this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were called to step into the deep where feet may fail. And, and they, it wasn't a one-time act that would do it. It was going to be day after day after day, every single day of their lives. But you track their lives in the midst of enormous opposition. In fact, all but one would be martyred. You track their lives, and, and to their last dying breath, they, they walked the walk of stepping into the deep one more day. And by the time the last one had died, there were thousands in Jerusalem that now followed Jesus. There were more in Judea and Samaria that followed Jesus. And there were some significant outposts and populations that followed Jesus in Europe and Asia and Africa by the time they died. How, how, did, they, how did they day after day after day step into the deep again and again and again? I want to, I want to touch upon that. And I also want to um, in a few moments after I've touched upon it, I want to tell you about a man about whom it's accurately said that he altered the course of Western civilization. And I want to tell you how, how 
how that happened through this man's life. And I want to tell you that he wasn't one of these imposing uh, presences that would walk into a room. In fact, he was, he was five foot three inches tall. And one time of sickness, he was down to 76 pounds. His coat is in a museum in uh, someplace, and his coat looks like the coat of a boy. He wasn't the guy that would walk into the room and every eye would turn to him. He was this you know, very, you know, uh, almost dismissive presence, if you will. Uh, and, and yet, uh, I want to talk about how he, day after day after day, stepped into the deep where feet may fail, and God ended up making a profound difference through this man's life. So, we've gotten through Acts chapter 8. The apostles get this impossible mission that they cannot accomplish in a lifetime. It means every single day, step into the deep. I'll pick up in verse 9 and read through verse 11. So, Jesus has just given them their mission. After saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. This, This one phrase of three profound words, he will return. There had to be so many days they would wake up, and it had to feel like that their mission was, would go on through all of eternity. They had to feel like they had just endured the last day where they almost lost their life. There's a new day. They have to step into the deep one more time, and they had to feel like this is never going to end. This will be forever. I will be doing this. And there's this message in these three words, he will return, that says it, it will end. You won't have to do this forever. It will end, and he's coming back. And he's going to set everything right. Jesus wins. This message to them, and they had to come back and think about it again and again and again. And you can see it in the writings. You can see it in the scriptural writings. They have that came back again and again. This, this seemingly eternal struggle I have of my mission will end. And Jesus wins. Jesus wins in the end. And this is so significant for us. If you're a follower of Jesus or if you ever become one, this is so significant to get this, how important it is about his return that, that Jesus himself spoke often of his return. One place he did so, Matthew 24, I give you, I'll read verse 27 and then 37 to 42. He would say, For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. When he said Son of Man, he's referring to himself. When the Son of Man returns... It will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in a field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Jesus again and again said, you need to be gripped by this truth. I will return. I, your, this life you got, you're having to live out now, it won't last forever. It won't run for. I will return, and I will set things right. I will win in the end. The early church spoke often of Jesus' return. We see it in Scripture. I give you just one of many places. Paul would write in Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, but we are citizens of heaven. Okay, they're still living on the planet like you and I. 
we're citizens of the U.S., most of us, but he would say, but we're really citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. We are waiting for the day because it is coming. It will happen. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Jesus wins. He was saying to the church in Philippi where there was this intense persecution, and their mission was to get up another day and step into the deep and tell their enemies about Jesus. He was saying, guys, your, your days of doing that are numbered because Jesus is coming back and he's going to win. He wins. And then finally, if we needed any more encouragement, that we need to be gripped by this. The Bible ends with this message about Jesus' return. It ends there. Revelation 19 Verses 11 and 16 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of all Lords. So saying, this is the day that Jesus comes back. Okay, Jesus comes back, and then there's some details about what happens immediately upon his return. And then Revelation 21.1 begins telling about this new heaven that he creates. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old earth and the, the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Okay? So Jesus, the early church, scriptures to the very end say, this, is, this needs to become significant to us. Okay? The, the battle that Jesus gives you to fight today, and maybe tomorrow and the next and the next, the battle has an end date, and Jesus prevails. And Jesus prevails, okay? Now, the last couple thousand years, the end date for, for most people wasn't Jesus' return. The end date was when they breathed their last. Okay? They had 14 years on the planet, or 40 years, or 84 years. They breathed their last, and, and that was the end date of their having to get up one more day and step into the deep. That was their end date. The moment they breathed their last, if they were followers of Jesus, they stepped into heaven. The, the immediate presence of Christ himself. And, and they were made like him in that instant, which meant no more sin in their life. They were with all the other Christ followers who had previously died as well. There was this, they were present with them as well. This, this stunning place of heaven. And some of them have been there almost 2,000 years of, of this first time, almost 2,000 years. But, but Jesus is saying to us, okay, your, your end date may be when you breathe your last, but it may not be. It may be when I return. There's going to be an end date. I am returning, and, and I win. I, I prevail over all of this. And, uh, and, and then there's this picture, and I want to read a little bit of you about what heaven will be like. And... Listen to this, because if you're a follower of Jesus, when Jesus comes back and some time passes, he does some initial return work, he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And the last two chapters of Revelation of the Bible, in fact, uh, describe it. So I want to read to you uh, the first five verses of chapter 21 of Revelation. John is writing in this vision he has. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth... Okay, guys, get this. This is, this is what you will experience for all of eternity if you follow Jesus. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. 
I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. By the way, this is going to happen on this planet. On this sphere we're on now, this is going to be remade and become part of the new heaven. Okay, God's going to be present on this planet with all of the followers of Christ. Then it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. Then he goes on with with more description. I'll pick up the very last verse of, of chapter 21. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter there ever, ever, ever. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river, there grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. Anything. This, this is the picture of what will be. And the message throughout Scripture, and Jesus more than any other, talked about this being soon. And that's thrown off a lot of Christ followers through the years because it's been almost 2,000 years now. Now, if Jesus were to convey to you he's coming back soon, what would you think? What would your idea of soon be? A month, maybe? Two? Sometime this calendar year, maybe? Soon? I, I might tend to think that. But, but there's this perspective that God has from the perspective of eternity of what soon looks like. And Peter, the water walker guy, would write about this in 2 Peter 3.8. He would say, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. See, to God, a day and a thousand years is hardly any difference. Why? Because God sees things from the perspective of eternity. Let me try to illustrate this for you. Suppose with me that the width of this stage covers one trillion years. From that corner of the stage to this corner covers one trillion years, okay? Now, pause for a moment. I would suggest to you a trillion years is not even a drop in the ocean of eternity. Can you buy that? A trillion years is not a drop in the ocean of eternity. But if this is a trillion years, and we're going to try to see how much of this space is taken up by a thousand years, we'll have to divide this stage in one billion parts. You wouldn't even be able to see a thousand years, And so if you look for a thousand years and you look for a year, they look the same, don't they? It's indistinguishable if you look from the perspective of eternity. This is the perspective God has. You and I might think, well, soon it's got to be before 2017 is done. God's looking at eternity and he says, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. And, And here's the deal. Someday your perspective will be eternity also. Someday your perspective will be true. You'll be living in the eternity with God. If you're a Christ follower, you'll be living in eternity with God. If you're not a Christ follower, by the time you die, you'll be living in eternity in the godless place. But you'll be living in the perspective of eternity. And you'll look back at however, however long it was before Jesus came back, and you'd say, blink of an eye. And this is the significance of this. You will look back upon your life on this planet which in some of the hard days seem like the hard days would never end. And you look back and say, it was as nothing. It was as nothing. This, what does all this have to do with 
stepping into the deep where feet may fail. A couple of things. One is, is this perspective. The psalmist would cap- capture it in Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Teach us the real- to realize the brevity of life. When you wake up for another day, and Jesus is saying, you got the same hard battle today. Step into the deep again. And you think this is never going to end. It will end in the blink of an eye from the perspective you will one day have. It will end in the blink of an eye compared to the eternity in which you will live. There, there, there's this perspective that, that must come to us about this, this sliver of life on the planet that we have. And that should drive us to, to motivation and urgency. Motivation and urgency. I was watching part of the college football championships last Monday night. Tim Tebow was one of the commentators, and at some point in the broadcast, they asked him if he said anything to his teammates. He was on a team that won two national championships, and, and he said, you know, I didn't say anything before the game began, but I'll tell you what I said at halftime. I said to the team, I said, we, we will remember the next 30 minutes for the rest of our lives. He was saying to them, we may be tired and weary and worn and battered and beaten up, but what happens in the next 30 minutes, we will remember for the rest of our lives. He was saying, guys, pour everything you have. It's only 30 minutes. It's only 30 minutes. It will echo for the rest of our lives. And I think the Spirit of Christ would say to us today, guys, whatever, whatever struggle you face now, ever face on this planet, it may seem like an eternity. But, but whatever happens in this life, he would say, this is such a, a brief brief sliver of time. I know you're tired. I know you're bruised. I know you feel broken. I know you feel you can't do it one more day. You can't on your own, but step into the deep one more time where your feet may fail and I will intervene. And I'll carry you through one more day. And before you know it, before you know it, either I will have returned or you will breathe your last and you'll step into eternity and, and what you do in this brief life will echo through all of eternity. Through all of eternity. Know that. Let, that. let that give you perspective. Let that motivate you and drive you for one more day. I mentioned this man of whom it would be said that, that his life would alter the course of Western civilization. I told you about some things that would not make him, would not present the image you might expect of someone like that. The man is named, was named William Wilberforce. He lived from 1759 to 1833. He was born in in Great Britain to a wealthy household. As he grew into his teenage years and early adult years, he really sought power and pleasure, which should be no surprise because that's what a whole lot of us sought or at one time or maybe still seek. He sought power and pleasure. At the age of 20, actually two weeks after his 20th birthday, which I believe was the earliest age anyone could become a member of parliament, he was elected to parliament. At 20 years old, at the age of 24, miraculously, he was elected to one of the most powerful seats in Parliament at the age of 24. In his life, there was this life of power, the influence, what what his words could do at that time from that position. And, and, And then outside the power structure, his life was fueled by alcohol and gambling, power and pleasure. Somewhere in his mid 20s, there were two or three Christ followers around him. There'd been some early in his life that planted some seeds about Jesus, but 
mid-20s, there were two or three Christ followers around him. There was one significant trip he was making through Europe, and he was in this, um, in this carriage with one of these Christ followers for several weeks and couldn't get out of the carriage. He had to make the trip. And this Christ follower was a very humble man, but known as one of the most brilliant thinkers of Europe at the time. And this guy followed Jesus. In the course of their weeks together, they had many conversations. And, and sometime at the end or soon after that trip, Wilberforce decided to place his life under the leadership of Jesus. He trusted his life to Jesus. He began to ask Jesus what he would have him do with his life. And, and he knew, obviously, that that would be out of politics because politics were, were filled with filth and a Christian couldn't survive there. And to his surprise, Jesus seemed to be pointing him to stay in politics. And so he wrestled with that until there was this great clarity. When he was 28 years old, he would write in his journal 20 words that would ultimately alter the course of Western civilization. This is what he would say. God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. Okay? He said, God Almighty the one who has all power, has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade, in other words, the end of slavery, the end of human slavery. And when he said the reformation of manners, that was their term for saying biblical righteousness, to bring about biblical righteousness and how it was needed in in England, in Great Britain at that time. Child labor was prolific. It was not uncommon to have a five or six-year-old child working 12-hour days in horrendous and often dangerous conditions. Sex trafficking was pervasive as well. 25% of the single women in London were prostitutes. The average age was 16 years old. Alcoholism was epidemic, and there was this powerful economic engine of slavery. And Jesus is saying to this guy, step into the deep where feet may fail. There is no way. And so... Wilberforce begins to step into the deep day after day. And he had this radical dependence upon God. He, he was so clear that apart from the very power of God, nothing would ever change. And so you look at his life and you can see these things. And it's what I've seen again and again in the people I know and people in history. Wilberforce every day had time just with God in prayer and scripture every day. It was his anchor every day. That should say to you and I, if, if we want to really walk upon the deep, really become who God made us to be, we have to have that. Every day some time with God in prayer and scripture. Wilberforce had this, this tight Christian community of friends that followed Jesus as well. And so many hard days, so many hard nights, he would gather with them and, and they would build him up and cheer him on and pray for him and he would do the same for them and their adventures and that Christ had sent them off on as well again and again and again. I thought about that when I heard Robert talk about this, this small group gathering that's going to be right after the close of the service about how every Christ follower needs, needs a small number of fellow Christ followers around her or him if you really want to walk on the deep, walk on water, you need that. If you don't have that, you need to trek upstairs when the service is done. Wilberforce had that. And then Wilberforce through Scripture, it became deeply ingrained in his soul. Jesus will return. It, this what seemed like would never end of getting up and 
being attacked and being threatened, his life being threatened again and again, seeing no progress, seeing things go backwards day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, Wilberforce understood this, this wasn't his eternity. This was just this one brief sliver. Jesus, he knew, is coming back, and Jesus is going to make this world right. Jesus wins. But from that day that Wilberforce would write down those 20 words, the next 46 years to the end of his life, it would be the same. Day after day, week after week, year after year. Almost 17,000 days. Same thing, the impossible. Three days before Wilberforce died, a messenger came to his deathbed and brought the startling news that Parliament had abolished all slavery in the British Empire. It was the last day Wilberforce would have consciousness. He'd slip into a coma in the last two days of his life and then step into heaven. Wilberforce has been there in heaven for almost 200 years now. And it's not even a sliver of how long he'll be there. And I don't, you think, I think he's looking back upon the days that seemed so hard when he was tempted to give up. When Christ was saying, this is something I want to do in and through you, he was tempted to give up. I think he's looking back saying, I'm so glad I never quit. I'm so glad I never quit. One more day, God, I can't walk on water without you, but one more day with you, perhaps I can one more day. William Wilberforce, friends, walked on water. You need to remember the battles that you face that aren't solved in a day. You need to remember that however long those battles run, they have an end. And this is not your eternity. It's, it's such a brief breath of time. And how you and I live it will echo through all of eternity. The encouragement from Christ in this is, I'm coming back, guys. I am coming back. And I will set all things right. All that I had you do, all that wasn't finished in what I had you do, I will make it all right. The church had uh, such a perspective of this in the first century. In fact, one of their most common creeds was simply, Come, Lord Jesus. I come back, Lord Jesus. And so profound is that actually in the last two verses of the Bible, God has those words recorded for us, the church today. The next to the last verse of the Bible, referring to Jesus, says, He who is, who is the faithful witness to all these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. To which the church responds, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. When I think about what this new heaven and new earth will be like, no sin mine nor anyone else's, no heartache, no brokenness, no pain, no goodbyes, the presence of Christ, a perfect love among brothers and sisters, my heart cries out, come, Lord Jesus, come. We're going to close out this service with a chance for all of us, the church, to say that to him, come, Lord Jesus, come. Father, In the weeks ahead, you'll be challenging us increasingly to step into the deep where feet may fail. 
in some very specific areas. And some of them will be, they'll be a one-time event, and those are the easy ones. But some will be long-term events. And those will be the hard ones. And may the truth of today's scripture, and today's message resonate in our heart so deeply. May it grip us so deeply that whatever our challenge is today, whatever faith it takes today and tomorrow and the next, give us the perspective that this isn't the eternity. This isn't it. This is, this is one tiny breath that will echo through all eternity. And you will give us the strength for one more day, for the day in front of us. You'll give us that strength. May we, may we each day step into the deep, to which you call us. Step into the place where feet may fail, to which you call us. Trusting that Jesus will intervene. And day by day, we will walk on water. Because we know, we know. In fact, we even cry out, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.